You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, it's Jen. Just a note for this episode, we tried something new called a roundtable discussion in person. We set it up on the fly, and while it was a fantastic talk, my not-so-great technical skills were called into question. And that part of the episode is not at the sound quality you've come to expect. We apologize that parts are hard to hear and promise that we will be better educated and prepared next time. Hope you enjoy listening. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we review the 2023 Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular and include highlights from speakers as well as a roundtable discussion. We had the events during the 2023 Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular last week. I got home late last night and we are back on the microphone recapping how the week went, what we learned and what we're taking into the future. We're not only recapping, but we're including exclusive interviews with our women in business speakers, such as Dr. Sam Fielding, Andy Belfiore, and Vicki Lowell, plus a roundtable discussion featuring Emily Urban, Sue Vanderlinden, Michelle Block, and Toddy Singer. Find all of our Saratoga women in business speaker bios on the EQB2B show notes page on eqbusinesswomen.com. One of our interviews was with Dr. Sam Fielding, where she gave us tips for a mindset makeover and kind of how she starts working with people in order to be ready to compete or to kind of change the way you you think about things, how to change your state regardless of what's going on. And I thought um, it was interesting to talk with her and be able to, you know, hear a little bit about how she would work with someone who's getting ready. So we're here with Dr. Sam Fielding and talking about mental mindset for the horse show. Can you give us a couple tips on how people can prepare for their day and and have the right mindset going into things? Yes. Well, I think that first and foremost, the whole mindset game in my approach is really to look at it from a kind of holistic perspective. So people want to do things on the day of, but I think that that has to be done with a a solid practice outside of just the day of the show. Because if you think you're going to execute the day of the show, something you haven't really mastered outside of that kind of intense environment, it's really difficult. So it's not that these things don't work. It's just that people are kind of applying them in the wrong way. Just like we prep our horses for the show, you don't come trying to pull off something that you haven't done before, or at least in my opinion, you shouldn't. So a lot of the work I do with riders is to kind of take a look at what is it that's creating the level of anxiety before the show. I think it's natural when anyone competes to have a little bit of level of anxiety leading up to it. But if it's paralyzing you or something that's you know creating havoc for days before the show then there's certainly something underneath the surface there so I do a lot of work with my clients to identify where does that come from and realizing that there's a lot of work to be done outside of the saddle in the day-to-day life experiences that we have and when you can integrate that understanding with these daily practices simple things that really work well like meditation like journaling like you know just taking that time to stop and slow things down for yourself when and it's done well can be really powerful. Um, but I think that really what needs to happen is that just like having a really good trainer can explain to you the nuances of what's the difference between you know, a good canter depart and one that's not going to work so well, understanding how do you do the things like meditation well, you know, what is it you're supposed to be doing or feeling, that really can make the difference in terms of how much it can allow you to shift your state in that moment, you know, pre-show. But ultimately, it's about being able to apply skills that you've really developed outside. And then you find that, you know, it might not get you to that place where you are at home under a less pressured situation, but you can really, really change that state so that you can enjoy the experience and have a good time when you're showing, which ultimately is why we're here. Right. (laughs) And... So for people today, um, if you're kind of guiding them through something before they 
get on the horse is it is it something that you're talking them through or do you say say something and let them try and do it themselves how does it work yeah well typically what I the approach that I like to have with my clients is I want them to learn the skills so they can do it that I don't need to be there to make this thing work so there's a lot of education and training and kind of teaching in the beginning so that people are really comfortable and understand exactly what I want them to feel and experience so they're confident they're doing it correctly but ultimately they have the skills to kind of create that change that they want on their own and I think it's really a matter of being able to have an awareness of what are you actually experiencing in the moment I think when people have a lot of anxiety they often aren't even acknowledging how anxious they are or what their energy is like and I, I think it comes from a natural place of thinking that well, if I don't, if it's not there, if I pretend like it's not there, it's not there. But it's a much better, a much more useful approach to take to acknowledge it and know, okay, I have the tools to change this rather than pretending that you're not feeling that way because it's normal to feel that way. Yeah. And you're leaving in two weeks for the Mongol Derby. Um, how have you been preparing yourself for an experience like that? Well, as much as I can, I've been training physically within, you know, the kind of context of my life situation. Um, but I'm really hoping to draw from my past experience as an endurance athlete. I've, I've been an outdoor professional most of my life. So knowing what I personally need in that environment is key so I can really focus and ask myself, do I feel prepared based on my past experience? But then there's a huge element of you have no idea what's coming and being comfortable with that. Um, so I've been doing a lot of physical training, trying to get as much time in the tack as I can, but nothing really is going to replace this experience in terms of just showing up and basically dealing with whatever comes, whether it means I can or can't complete it. All of those questions are kind of things that are running through my mind. But this is a little bit the work I ask my clients to do when they're prepping for horse shows because life experiences are giving you that same practice, that same opportunity to work with the, you know, the thoughts, the feelings and sensations we're experiencing in real time. So I've been doing a lot of prep work, but it's funny because I do this work with other people getting to watch myself in the same process and think, what am I going to think, you know, three weeks from now after looking back? And I know enough to know that I will be laughing at myself for putting myself through undue stress, (laughs) but trying at this point to really make the most of it and utilize it from where I am. I think a big tip I can give to everybody is just to really be kind and be patient with yourself and just give yourself some grace because you're always doing the best you can, whether it feels like it or not. So what made you decide to do the Mongol Derby? You know, everyone keeps asking me that. I don't really know. I saw the Derby. It kind of came into my experience randomly. Um, and it was just something that I said, I have to do that. I don't know if it, there was a bit of a draw with Mongolia itself, it's kind of been like a long-standing joke, like, oh, I'm from Mongolia. And it's just a, a horse culture, you know, that they really live with their horses. Um, and it felt like an amazing way to combine all these things that I love. I grew up with a little bit of a racing background, so I, I really did see all kinds of things coming together to be this kind of, in some ways, like an adult outward-bound experience, yeah. you know, something to push myself in a way that I couldn't create on my own. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming. You're welcome. We had a meet and greet with Take Two Executive Director Andy Belfiore to learn more about the Take Two program and the women who run their accredited organizations. It's a very interesting perspective and some statistics that she has to give us. So we're here with Andy Belfiore from the Take Two Second Career Thoroughbred Program, Inc. And you gave a seminar um, talking about your program. And one of the really interesting facts that you had was that a majority of the accredited organizations are run by women. Can you talk a little bit about those stats and um, why you think women are leading the charge here? Sure. Um, So there's uh, 80 uh, organizations that are accredited by the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. And it was always my sense that most of them were run by women, but I I said, well, head of this presentation, let me check that out. And it turned out, yes, 92% are run by women, either as the executive director, the president of the board. You know, they dominate the boards of these. They're the head trainers at these programs. And, you know, as for why, I mean, this really is a passion project for the people 
that are involved, people that love thoroughbreds, you know, want to do the right thing by retired racehorses. You know, it's not about making money. It's not about fame and fortune. It's about, I love these horses. They're, you know, given so much to to us at the racetrack. So what can we do to give back to them when it's time for them to have a second career? Yeah, I love that. And I think it's, it's important, I think, to recognize that because, um, you know, maybe other women who want to get involved or, you know, aren't sure, maybe feel more comfortable knowing that there's other women in, in charge of things and, um, and kind of being that uh, person to stand up and say, yes, we're doing this and we want more people to help us and join us. Can you talk a little bit about um, you know, what your program is looking for in terms of donations or recognition or how you guys are growing? Um, you know, from the, especially from the horse show side, you know, people see the take two thoroughbred classes in the hunters and jumpers and they think, well, that's a lot of fun and I enjoy a thoroughbred and, but they don't really understand that it is a charity. It's a not-for-profit and our mission is to make sure that retired racehorses have, you know, safe landings and, and good opportunities beyond the racetrack and I think that's a message that we're really trying to get out to the horse show world the race racing side of things they understand because they're the ones retiring the horses but from the horse show side you know understanding that we are a not-for-profit we do rely on you know our league membership fees and our donations and and any other support that we can get from the industry um, is a big help to us are there volunteer opportunities for people There can be. I mean, certainly at the horse shows to have an ambassador for someone that's involved in the thoroughbreds and and passionate about them and can talk to other people and tell them, you know, why they enjoy it and why they think other people would enjoy it. Um, You know, any any kind of getting the word out about our program is always a huge help for us. And when they go to the horse shows and they take part in the Take Two program, uh, is it different kind of fees? Do they have to become a member of anything in order to participate? So there's kind of two levels. If you want to just compete in a Take Two class, then you can do that. Whatever the normal horse show fees are for a class, that's what you pay. But there's you don't need to be a league member. You don't have to be part of anything. You just have to have a registered thoroughbred. If you want to compete, we have the $20,000 Hunter and Jumper Finals in September, and we have uh, year-end high score awards of $10,000. If you want to compete for those, then you have to pay a $50 uh, thoroughbred league, Take Two thoroughbred league membership fee great well thank you so much for joining us here today at the saratoga women in business spectacular it was great to hear about um your organization and we wish you the very best thank you very much vicki lowell is the chief marketing and content officer of u.s equestrian and we spoke to her after a really informative panel with vicki and three other representatives from uscf including sonia keating Judy Sloan and Debbie Saliling to find out more about what they do for U.S. Equestrian, how they can help um, members and and what it means to, you know, be aware of social license of equestrian sport. So we are here with Vicki Lowell, uh, Chief Marketing and Content Officer for U.S. Equestrian. And Vicki, you were part of a panel along with Sonia Keating, Debbie Saliling, and Judy Sloan to kind of talk about what you guys do at USCF and to, you know, put a kind of a face to the organization at this event. Um, what was it like being able to talk to women in business and to... Um, riders and trainers here and receive feedback? Well, I think this is a great opportunity to be invited by Adele um, to participate here at this horse show. She was so encouraging and I had fun actually, honestly, um, having a chance to bring both Sonia, Debbie and Judy from our board to the show and to be able to have the chance to interact directly with um, the participants. You know, we had great attendance and great questions and honestly, great feedback and ideas that we can take away. Yeah, I thought that too. You know, sometimes it just takes like one person to spark an idea and it can go from there and really help a lot of people, which is kind of what Equestrian Businesswoman wants to do is make those connections and and help people get to know more and and learn from it. Um, What was a big takeaway for you personally here? 
Um, I think for me personally here is that people will find the time, I think, to come and talk to us and participate as busy as they are at the show, um, running around training and doing other things. And I think that there's opportunity for us, especially with supporting um, some of the young professionals, how we can help develop some programs for them. Um, which I think I'm going to take away and go work on right away. <laughs> and you're kind of known for your creativity and your marketing ideas. Um, there was a lot of talk about social license for the sport, uh, accessibility in the sport. Um, can you give us kind of a, an overview on the strategy of improving and growing equestrian? Yes, um, growth is the most important priority for us, along with safety and the sustainability of the sport. And, you know, there are multiple facets that we're pursuing to go after that. I think one of the most important ones that we talked about today is social license, um, recognizing that everybody out there has a phone and they have cameras. And, you know, I think the majority of people are always doing the right thing in our sport, but it takes um, one person doing the wrong thing and that being captured on video and it can go viral so quickly. And I think most people are aware of like pentathlon and, and what happened around the Olympics where frankly pentathlon is not existing in the Olympics anymore because of one rider and one poor decision that was made in the ring um, probably out of emotion mm. and I think we have to be very very vigilant as a sport to promote the positive aspects of the sport and everything that we do for our horses and for our community and so I think that's that's something we're very focused on um, is that social license in the in the community growth wise you know please tell everyone you know to become a U.S. equestrian fan. Um, it's free, and we're just trying to bring as many people into the community as possible. We just launched a new kids' club called Stable Stars. So anyone knows any kids that like horses or might like horses, um, you know, parents can sign them up, and it's free, and there are resources and fun things that are available to the kids. So I, I think that's a, a great new thing to just kind of pass along. Well, it's so great to have you here and um, get to see you in person again. And um, thanks again for joining us at the Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular. Well, great, Jen. It's always fun to work with you. And I think you're super creative. And this initiative, Women in Business, is something that you started a, a while back. Mm -hmm. um, and I continue to s support it. And, you know, I hope the community continues to support it because we are a sport with 90% plus women. And, you know, I think that women are so strong that are in this sport and they deserve every opportunity within the sport. And then those also that work outside of the sport, but have passion for it to, to connect and come together as a community. Perfect. Thank you. Our roundtable discussion focused on topics ranging from finance, personal values, creativity, and pivoting in an equine career. And these different topics all turned into a really fascinating conversation. It's fun to see how they can all connect and how it all flowed really, really well and the information that came out of it. So we're here for Equestrian B2B um, with a few of our speakers from the Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular, um, just having a cool roundtable discussion about the different topics that we've spoken about at the show um, for our seminars. And starting with Sue Vanderlinden, um, one of your topics is finding a financial trainer, and it's like finding a trainer for you and your horse. Can you talk about the similarities of that and why it's important? Thanks, Jen. Um, it always amazes me the parallels that I find between writing and what I do for my day job. And the, the financial trainer is so like a horse trainer in that you need somebody that can give you some tough love. You know, here's, you're not keeping your heels down. Your hands are still yanking on his face. Can you please just get your bum out of the saddle to go over that fence? Stop making it hard. <laughs> and equally, when you're looking at finance, it can be hard for people to get out of their own way to let you know, the market help them, to let their plan help them. And they just keep fighting it. And so you need that trainer who can step in and say, mm -mm, just just back off a step. You're not with you. Mm -hmm. And is it 
more like, do you help someone set budgets or is it about investing? How, how involved do you get with someone when you're working with them in making these plans? Yeah. Well, we have tools to help you with the budgeting, Mm -hmm. but we don't feel like it's our job to make the judgment call. Like, if you looked at my budget, there are people who would say, you pay what to board your horse? <laughs> and they would think I was nuts. So it's not our job to make those judgment calls on the budget. But once you have your budget together and you think about, okay, here's what it costs me to get through a month. Mm. Then we help you engineer backwards from that to figure out, okay, how do you implement that budget and how do you invest so that that can be your budget later on? You know, I, I love the old Abraham Lincoln quote about don't give up what you want most in favor of what you want now. Mm. And I, you know, I admit it, it is easy for us horse people to get drawn into the sparkly thing. I gotta have the latest side pack. I gotta have the latest bridle. I gotta have the latest bit. Do you? (laughs) Because if you don't spend the money on the stuff that's just gonna crowd your garage (laughs) and sit in your trailer and probably not get used very much, then you've got money to be able to invest for later. And that's that's really the big thing is being able to put relatively small amounts away early. Um, I was talking to someone earlier about when do people usually come to us. Yeah. And it's, they bypass their 20s. They think, oh, I'll catch up later. And later comes pretty quickly. <laughs> So, you know, if you can turn the calendar into your friend and not your enemy, you can put away relatively small amounts early and then let the market and compounding take care of the growth for you. Yeah. And it's really the easiest way to get the heavy lifting. Okay. Do you think that it's reasonable to expect grooms to be able to put away money um, for their future? Well, we can get into the whole living wage discussion, and that's an entirely separate podcast. Um, But it's not about setting aside everything you have. It's about setting aside something. So people who are very into their charitable engagements, it's not like they're giving away everything they make. They're giving a percentage. And when you look at people like Dreams, if they can just put a small percentage away and be smart about having it be really tax efficient and deal with the fact that it's delayed gratification, right? We have been conditioned by you know retail therapy to think it's going to happen right now. Well, no, this is not going to be right now. This is going to be later. So we were talking earlier about farriers and the physical toll being a farrier takes you have to have that rainy day fund set aside so that when you do get to the point where your body says okay you're not going to be a barrier anymore you just can't be hunched over pulling up the feet of 1200 pound draft horses anymore then where's the rainy day fund and rooms need to think the same way working students if they get some kind of stipend need to think the same way because if you put that money aside early that can be the difference between you being able to make it or not i have a question i I speak with future professionals current professionals and some current professionals who own a farm not all do of course have told me, I don't need to save for retirement. I'm paying off my mortgage. When I'm ready to retire, I'll sell the farm and live in an apartment. Is paying off your mortgage and putting money into the farm replacement for retirement? I personally don't think so because we've run the numbers a million times. And what you can do by investing and just paying your mortgage is let the market do that heavy lifting. So, for instance, 
you have a 30-year mortgage and you pay the mortgage, but you set some money aside, you let the market do some growing for you, then you're going to get 15, 20 years down the road on that 30-year mortgage. Well, now you've saved enough, invested enough, you've got money to be able to pay the mortgage either down or off way ahead of that 30-year schedule. So again, what do you want most versus what do you want now? And you get to the point where there, you know, you've let the market do, again, some of the heavy lifting for you. You've let it provide you with some growth. Now you use that to pay off your mortgage. Well, okay, yeah, you pay off the mortgage, but now it's your choice. Do you want to stay in the farm? Do you want to continue to own the farm and lease it out to somebody? Or do you actually want to sell it? And this is... An important piece of it is there's a lot of tax ramifications to selling off a property because farms are not small price tag kinds of ventures. So you could easily wind up with anywhere from 20 to 30% less because, oops, I forgot I had to pay taxes when I sold this thing. Capital now payments. I can't actually buy the condo I thought I was going to be able to buy. So wait a minute, you know, okay, that was plan A, now I guess I'm out of plan B and quickly approaching the, oh crap, what happened now? So if I came to you, what would it look like? What would our conversation kind of start out with? And, and you know, how would I start with you? Our conversations are actually really fun because... You get to sit back in the chair and close your eyes and tell us what you picture. What do you want? Where are we going? We'll, we'll get to the hard stuff, but we start with what do you want? What are we trying to aim for? And after we've figured out what the point of the exercise is for you, then, all right, what do you already have? What are you able to save and invest? What are you bringing to the table? What sorts of other things are out there? Um, we had somebody at an earlier session who mentioned that she had inherited property. And my first thought was nobody prepared her for the fact that she was going to inherit that property. So she's now scrambling to create a plan because oh, I didn't expect that. Wait, what do we do with it? And if you have anything remotely like that that you could be dealing with on either the positive side or the negative side, let's discover that early so that we can either take better advantage of the positive things or insulate you to the degree we can from the negative things. Like, for instance, a lot of people's parents are living longer and longer. Are you prepared for what that's going to look like? What are you actually responsible for paying in order to take care of them versus what would you like to do? Okay, let's model that out. Yeah, you can afford to pay for their nursing home. Oh, you can't afford to pay for their nursing home. And where is the line in there so that you know exactly you know, what the edges of the envelope are for your situation? What are you working with and how far can you go? But our, our meetings are actually pretty fun because you get to decide what the priorities are and how vigorously you want to pursue them. And then is it up to you to kind of push people in that direction? Or, you know, I'm thinking in terms of riding and how riding instructors can be a little harsh on us. So is it, uh, are there conversations like that or is it a, um, a little softer? <laughs> well, obviously, we always start off softer. Uh, but, you know, if, like, if you tell us your goal is to buy a million dollar barn in 10 years, okay, we can work the math backwards on what you have to put away in order to create that opportunity. And if you're not doing it, we actually have a planning monitoring system that in a certain sense, we don't have to say anything because your planning monitor will come up red and <laughs> says, I'm sorry, Jen, you're off track. 
Um, and then when we sit down together in person, we're going to remind you that you're off track. And okay, how much of a priority is this really? Because you've been okay with us being off track for the last three months, six months, nine months. How much of a priority is it really? Do we need to go back and reassess? Is there a different goal that's actually taking precedence over this one? And how much of the backfill can you do in order to get yourself back on track? That makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> Does anybody else have questions or comments on this topic? Okay. Um, I know it kind of dovetails into what you do for rising equestrian pros that need some guidance in how, you know, how they grow their business or how they um, structure things. So, uh, you know, Emily Urban, can you talk about, you know, how you help these pros and then from there, how do you um, help them kind of define their personal values in order to um, make that business a success? Yeah. <clears throat> Good question, Jen. So like you mentioned, I'm, at the Rising Equestrian Pro, we help professionals, future professionals, start thinking about these things like retirement, start thinking about horses as a business and how to make it a viable activity for their lives if that's the, if that's the path they choose. It's not a path for everyone. Um, that path can look very different. But if that's the path they choose, let's give them the resources around retirement, around insurance, around structuring their revenue generating activities and their business model, around um, legal and systems. How do we charge clients in an efficient way? How do we make sure our taxes are paid? All of these logistics, what I like to call business logistics things. But with the business logistics, there's also, we have to take care of the professional themselves. And this is one, we need to make sure that they are aware of the mental health challenges that can come across as a professional. They need to be able to take care of their bodies and have pay for health insurance and think about resources for different fitness programs, things like that. So one thing that's really important in our industry, and, and one thing I focus a lot on in the course is um, creating your business around your values and you know, at first, when I when I first explored this topic years ago, I was like, oh, it sounds really, really fluffy. <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds really fluffy. Um, but the more and more I talk to so many different professionals across the industry, mainly across eventing, hunter-jumper, dressage, I realized that there's this dichotomy between professionals that are super successful, however they want to define success, and others that are really struggling. And often at the very foundation of that business is a disconnect with their values. And let me give you an example. I'm going to, I'm going to use pseudonyms not to, to publicize any current professionals, but there's a professional, we'll call her Kim, Kim, who has a after school lesson based program. And on weekends, nearly every weekend in the summer, she's somewhere in the region locally showing with her students and her clients. She, after a long time, started experiencing massive burnout. And burnout's really common in our industry. They're like short-term periods or so much so that people leave the industry altogether. Professionals leave the industry. She realized after some reflection that her main value was family and spending time with her kids. And yet her business model, the way she designed her business business activities were taking place when her kids were home from school in the evenings and on the weekends. And so she took a time, some moments to think about what her values are and then restructuring her business in a way that is aligned with her values. Maybe it could be bringing in more training horses, horses into training during the school day, for example, at least for a period of time while her kids are in school, you know, businesses shift and pivot all the time. Um, that could have been prevented in a big way. On the other side of things, a success story, uh, it's a professional, we'll call her Susan, who has a farm, has those responsibilities at the farm, but her values are really around freedom and adventure. And so her business model 
is every other weekend, at least twice, two times a month, she is out around the country teaching clinics. And in fact, now her business is primarily, her rep, main revenue generating source is her clinic side of her business. And for her, she comes back from these clinics feeling refreshed and not feeling locked into her farm and her clients at home. Even though she loves them, she feels like she needs the moment to go out, serve, do clinics, um, get her judging license and be out and about. And, and so to find that success and that fulfillment, avoid burnout is, is really helpful to have a regular reflection of, of values. Yeah, I think that applies to anyone, not just riders or trainers. And yeah, I think restructuring your business is a daunting thought for anyone in trying to change the way they do something that has been successful up until this point. But like you said, you have to um, recognize when you're at a point where things need to change. And um, I think that's nice that there's someone like you who can guide people through that. And I think that's hard to find. Um, does anybody else have thoughts on it? I think you bring up a really good point, but you dance around it in the horse business all the time, which is treating your business like a business does not diminish your love for the horse. And there is a big part of this industry that says, well, if you don't just you know, kill yourself doing all things horse, you're somehow not that good a trainer or not that good a student or not that good a groom or anything else. And that once you make the adjustments to treat your business like a business, you're not treating the horse any less. You don't love your job any less. But like you said about the, the example, Susan, she's able to be refreshed by her business and not be drained by it. And that's so crucial, especially given the, the mental health challenges that this industry has. Yeah. Yeah, there's some major myths that need to be to be busted, and we all need to support that. Even for those of us out there who work with a trainer, and we are the clients in that moment, we need to understand when our and when our trainer's business model might be a little different. And they are away every other weekend teaching clinics, and she has even said in that that example that the people there are some people who don't want her going away every other weekend and so they find a trainer that fits them but in her mind she's found good people and she's a phone call away and uh, she comes back refreshed so it's it's and it takes a lot of confidence to define that for yourself because the industry does tell professionals sometimes what their business should look like rather than being self-defined and I do think that sometimes in this business, um, people take advantage of the fact that we're passionate about it and that we are going to kill ourselves for the horse. And I think that's an unfortunate part of, of the industry. And I think that that's one thing that the veterinary side is trying to push back against, you know, in defining um, when you know, when people can call them and setting boundaries because there is so much burnout that comes along with it. For sure. I just wanted to comment that, you know, change, 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 I think that can be really good for yourself too. It's not just your business. You can't think that you're a failure either. You, you know, in that situation. I think this kind of goes nicely into the topic that Toddy Singer was um, discussing in terms of pivoting in a career. And also, you know, you said not everybody can be a rider and trainer or wants to be. And how can you still have the love for horses or be involved in the industry and, you know, what those career paths can look like outside of um, being a rider or trainer? Toddy, can you comment 
on what we've been discussing and, and how you feel. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Jen. Um, I think that's been a theme all day and uh, has nicely come along. I think I personally have had a lot of different roles within the equine industry. Um, and I think one thing we've been talking about is one thing we all have in common is industry knowledge. We all know, we're all here because we love the horses. We all know something about the horses. It's It might be hunter jumpers, it might be dressage, it might be racing, it might be just a different um, discipline, but we all know the horses and that industry knowledge trans is such a transferable skill. Um, always in, within the industry, within equestrianism, but also outside of it. I think something for all of us to keep in mind that you know, managing large animals and staff is something that's very easily transferable. So, you know, it's like you said, it's not a failure uh, if you want to change things up and you can take the skills into something else. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think within the industry, you know, there are various different jobs. I mean, I've done everything from managing a horse farm and trying to make sure it was sustainable. Probably could have used Sue's advice back then. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, to, you know, running, helping run horse shows on the event, sponsorship side of things, to um, working at USDF on the governing body side of things and the marketing and sponsorship role. Um, in my current role, I'm on, I work for a media company and I get more horse shows and content sponsors and partners for a television channel. Um, so, you know, all of my, anything you can do is easily transferable. You just have to have the confidence and grit, you know, to change that with also what the industry is bringing and those times, you know, nowadays technology is in our favor, but I think when a lot of us started in the horse industry, it was very different. Um, so, I think you make a really good point about taking those skills that you have in the horse industry and being able to transfer them outside of it. I think that a lot of times when people are sitting down to write their resume or think about what they're doing and they've been in the horse industry their whole life and maybe they've groomed, they don't really realize all the skills that they really have. And I think like one thing that helped me when I transitioned into um, working in a corporate job is that you know, when I sat down and I was like, look, like I managed a farm. I had to manage time. I had to manage staff. I had, you know, the skills to order supplies and and strategize on how to get more customers. And so those are all things that I think people in the equine industry, we don't we don't look deep enough um, into the skills that we have and then transfer them onto our resumes if we are looking to leave the industry. You know, I have a friend who um, works in the food service industry and she's thinking about changing careers, but she worked in horses for years and years. And they said, you'll leave that off your resume. Like you could go into sales if you wanted to because you've had to deal with clients and owners and, you know, pitching your family's business to them and she was like I never even thought that that's a skill that would transfer into outside of the equine industry um yeah exactly great point I mean honestly I got my first job out of college I think one of the, the biggest points was mind you I graduated in 2008 we're in a recession finding a job in New York City was very tough I rode all through college I was a horse person I was I was captain of my equestrian team at Mount Holyoke at the time, and I had that on my resume. And my interviewer said, "Captain of a, this equestrian team, knowing nothing about horses, and what does that mean?" There were forty-three women on it. I was captain, and she goes, "Oh, you're hired. Okay, <laughs> because you can deal with people, and you know, and females. And we're talking about women in business this week. And you know, I think that is." You know, it's, it was an equestrian theme and part of your, and it's, yeah, it's very transferable no matter what. You know, and that was my first job corporate-wise, not really in the horses, and that taught me things that have now been transferable within the industry 10 years, 15 years later. Yeah, I think it's interesting how not just as women, but as equestrians, we tend to undervalue our skill sets. So, Jen, you were talking about you know, don't leave the equestrian service off your resume. And it makes me think of someone I know who was the lead groom at an FBI 
level of competition barn. And she was managing the supplements and managing the meds and managing you know, the people and everything else. And went to try to go into a corporate job, and it was the same sort of thing that Tanya was saying about, oh, you manage 43 women, you're hired. So she went into interview for a compliance job, and you think, compliance person? Well, this doesn't match up. And then she explained to the person she was interviewing with about managing reading the rules and understanding what was allowed and what the time frames were. They kind of went, I've been selling people short coming in with this skill set. This is really a big deal. And we do that to ourselves so often. I agree because we also don't apply for jobs because we think we're not qualified, you know. And I, I took that to heart. Um, one of my friends had said that to us on one of our the second podcast that we ever had. And so now I'm like, there when jobs come up at my company, I'm like, I'm going to apply for this. A, I want them to know who I am, that I'm serious about my career, but also it might be a good fit for me. And, you know, I'm going to push myself to do those things. And I think that you do, you have to put yourself out there to get where you want to go. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. You just have to have confidence to, to jump at whatever, you know, what, whatever looks interesting. You know, I think also one thing to mention, I think it came up a little bit, what you're talking about in the horses and I think passion tax popped up, you know, that it's, and that's been something that a lot of, uh, you know, some friends and, you know, kind of entry level people just out of college have been saying to me recently, I think just because of how industries in the world has changed a little bit, uh, you know, we're all lucky enough to love these horses. And I think the equestrian industry brings a lot of work ethic, uh, which is great. But I think as you morph and develop in your career, you just have to be cognizant of that. Um, that's just something also to think about but you know if it looks interesting and you think they have the skills just stay on it i mean even if you don't there's always 15 other plants you can you can pivot to so michelle block was on the podcast and um we talked a lot about creativity on your episode and talking about emily's personal values and how people need to define that for themselves. Do you think there's a way to take those personal values in order to um, create creativity and (laughs) be creative and, um, you know, help yourself not only in your values, but probably in your branding as well? Smart questions and making sure that you're So, what I was thinking about is that you know, you're asking people to think about that, and perhaps they need to take some time to really consider what those personal values are because in our society, it is go, go, go. And not only is it go, 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 but we are. We are inundated with noise, with text, phone calls, social media. It's just coming from all directions, and we don't have a lot of time to sit and consider and think about those values. And so you're asking me about creativity, but in this sense, I think both things come from the same place, which is taking time and making the space to sit down and for me, it's creativity. 
take that time to sit and write. And I am not bombarded with all those things because I'm putting my phone on do not disturb. I don't pick it up when I get up and that phone stays on do not disturb until I'm done. I sit down, I'll be chair and easy transition from my bed to pick up a coffee to go to the chair and then just sit down and I read a chapter and I write and that writing has allowed me to think about so many topics and I just allowed Whatever it is, I mean, the Can people take that advice and then kind of use that to create a story for who they are or where they want to go in life or, you know, kind of explore that to then take that towards their brand and who they are? Part of branding is creating that story either for yourself, right, as your own brand, yourself, or your business. And that business needs that story in order to promote and create those social media posts and create the analysis page on the website. There are so many areas that we need to understand the story of your business. Uh, part of that story, or part of finding that story, is you need to uncover it, and that's where sitting down and having a practice. Uh, like tapping into creativity in order to uncover that story. Because a lot of times we don't even realize what the story is. You know, in the business, we might just Run forward and not really, not really understand what what it is we really want to put out there, and it's so important to put out in the world exactly what your story is, right? What your business is, and it's not only what you've done; it's it's everything before what you've done. Right? You can accumulate these. Um, <laughs> these lines on your resume, right? Things that you've done, right? Or accomplishments. But it's everything leading up to that that's your skill to do. Right? So it is not, it's not the award what it takes to get you, right? As a writer, I wrote a lot of magazine articles and I loved going out and talking to people even on the ground, right? And digging up the story because everybody has a story. And even when I was speaking to a winner, it's, it's not just the win. It's not that we've written the story. It's digging for that and discovering what it took to get there. And maybe the horse was injured six months ago and had to come back. That's the story, right? How did that horse get from the point Or perhaps the rider, there was something in the background. Or maybe that morning, something happened getting to the workshop. That's the story. What it took to get from that point to winning the class. So my point is that there are are a lot of stories that you have to dig They don't just present themselves. They don't just say, what I want to do. So in order to really tap into that, you have to dig. And that's true for yourself as well, digging inside and finding your own story. You have to do the digging. Nobody else is going to do the digging for you. So that's what that practice is, sitting down. Writing and that's where people fall. So, one of the our former guests that were on the podcast, she talked a lot about branding, and she was talking about 
the brand of Tommy Bahama and how they've developed a story behind it. And he's not a real person, but it is a real persona and developing that. What, what do you think about that? Like, I mean, I think that you have to be authentic in yourself and it's, you know, your business, but is it okay to create a story behind something if you're having like a brand like a Tommy Bahama? I love that so much, and I think it's really important because it it focuses us on exactly who we want to sell to, right? It makes that person real, right? That you're you're making the products for, or you're writing soft papers for, whatever you're doing to embody that. It just makes it real. It's not just this brand something like that, right? You're you're marketing something. So yeah, I think it's really important. I love it. Then again, I'm sorry. I think that point um, kind of goes through to riders and trainers as well. Um, Michelle, you were talking about, you know, having your story and, and who you are and when you were covering shows, like what happened this morning that could make the story interesting or what's their background, that sort of thing. And I've done a few um, seminars with young riders and that's what I've told them is, you know, if a reporter comes up to you and asks you, you know, tell us about your horse or something like think about it beforehand, be thinking about it now in what, is interesting and what you can tell the reporter because it only makes the story better and more people read it and more people know who you are. And, you know, did you come from no money? Were you cleaning stalls in order to be able to afford lessons? Like things like that, like that's Margie Engel's story and what she did in order to come to the top of the sport is incredible. And that's what, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that story, but something that's a hook that makes you interesting to read about is what's going to get you uh, more visibility. And that's only, I think, going to help your business. You know, so many writers want to know how they can have better PR. And I think it, it starts with you. It starts with who you are and what you do and why you're different. And a lot of writers can, if you can't afford a PR agency, you can do it yourself, really, In if you are thinking about those things and how to, um, you know, get it across well to those storytellers. Basically, you are your content. You are the provider of your content, right? It's your story. It's your life. It's what we do. You just have to look at it from an outside perspective. We don't think what we've done is significant. We don't realize that we may connect with people when we let that information out. So you have to tap into it, get it out, (laughs) and put it out there. Don't be afraid to put out who you are, what you've done, and again, I'm not talking about accomplishments, but how you got there, right? That story. I think that kind of rounds out what we've all been talking and and um, about and discussing here. And I think it's kind of what our podcast has started to um B is those stories and how people got there and what's your journey. And, um, you know, some people make a good living. Some people are making millions of dollars and it doesn't matter, you know, about the success of your business success. Like you said, Emily looks different to everyone. And, um, but I think hearing those stories and being able to relate to everyone, um, is what's important because people can find things that they connect to in everyone's story. So I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining us here today and sharing parts of your stories and and your advice as well. So we really appreciate it. What an incredible week we had with all these various women at the horse show. Um, We actually got to go to the track afterwards and do a little 
sneak peek on the backside, which was really fun. Uh, but I think that but the most important part that came out of it from for me is seeing how even though we're in so many different places doing so many different things and there's lots of different topics to talk about, a lot of them flowed together and there's a lot of themes that that you find throughout what all the women say and um I really enjoyed being there and kind of collaborating with all of them. For sure. And it it's special to be a part of the Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular Horse Show. You know, it's so cool. Like, as we're setting up an ice cream social, the women are dragging the ring and driving the water trucks and setting the jumps and, set it, you know, being a course designer. And um, it was just a really cool atmosphere the whole time. Um, and, you know, this is the second year we've worked with Adele Einhorn to bring some events to the horse show. And I think we had a really incredible lineup this year that you organized. And, um, you know, I think we've learned a lot about how to schedule things and what we want to offer and, you know, how we can make it bigger and better for next year. Yeah, I'm so grateful for all the women who came out, who responded, who made it out to mm-hmm. be speakers, to help organize it. Um, women at the show who hopped in and and were able to, you know, a little bit on the fly, change some things up and help us. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that each and every one of you who has, has helped out and made it as a, successful as it was. Uh, mm-hmm. There were There were a couple of things um, that I thought were important, like um, during the USCF panel, I really enjoyed how they spoke about, um, you know, really policing our sport and paying more attention because they have some, they recognize um, what's going on in racing and Mm -hmm. that, you know, all of us in horse sport could be in jeopardy um, and scrutinized. So for me, that was a really big point that came out of that. And I appreciate that they're recognizing that and they're trying to do something about it as well. Right. And I think the interaction between not only like all, you know, the speakers that we had set, and listened to that panel and had questions for them as well, which was cool. And, you know, there were riders and trainers from the show that came up for that panel to ask more and, and learn more. So I think the panel members themselves from us equestrian really got a lot out of it, but so did everyone that was listening. Um, So that was great. And I think, you know, between the two of us having some of our close friends there to help and really becoming friends with some of the speakers that we had never met in person before was really special. So um, I'm definitely, I definitely came home from this week being uh, really energized by it and excited for what I think that we can do now going forward. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, I think that like even in our um, roundtable discussion, so many things came out of it. it. It flowed so well. And I think everybody at the end was surprised. And I hope we do more of those because it was really fun to be in person with mm-hmm. everybody and, you know, sitting around the mic and just hashing things out. And I think that that was like so organic the way it happened. And I think that people will appreciate you know, the information that came out of that just from a bunch of women from the equine industry and also other businesses sitting around and having discussion. Yep. That was great. So I think um, we can, you know, look at this year as a success um, and achieving some of the goals that we set out to do and um, really looking at 2024 with even bigger goals and um, and ways to connect more women together in the industry and and not just the hunter jumper industry, but you know, looking at the racing and other um, types of equestrians in the area and welcoming all of them as well. Yeah, Saratoga is such a fun place. It's so diverse. There's so many 
different activities that you can do, especially in the summer that's based around horse stuff that I, I hope that we can incorporate some of that going forward. It would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that we've had a long week last week and we've both got to recharge and get ready for what's coming this week. So you're going to go and find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review so other people can find us as well. And you can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go make plans to attend next year. 